Hello and welcome to episode 27 of Trial by Podcast. I'm Talia Mason, a law graduate here at McCabe Kerwood. Earlier this month, New South Wales Parliament passed major changes to the defamation laws for the first time since 2005, which I'll outline in just a minute. In light of these changes, today's episode will look at several prominent defamation cases of the digital age. Could your daily social media interactions end up landing you and possibly the websites you post on in legal hot water? When we hear the word defamation, a lot of us think of large litigation cases involving celebrities and media publishers, like the Jeffrey Rush case against the Daily Telegraph. But defamation can also exist in much more day-to-day settings, especially in the emerging social media age. Today, we're going to briefly explore three forms of this digital defamation, text messages, Google reviews, and social media posts and comments. By way of brief background, for those that may not know, the tort of defamation requires three things, that a false statement was made that damaged a person's reputation, that it identifies a particular person, and that it is published to at least one person other than the person named. Whilst each state in Australia has its own defamation act, this is a uniform act enacted in each state jurisdiction. As mentioned, New South Wales Parliament made changes earlier this month to the New South Wales defamation laws. The most significant change is the requirement that any publication must have caused or be likely to cause serious harm to a person's reputation as opposed to simply any harm. These changes have not yet been replicated in other states around Australia. However, this is expected to occur in the near future. The need for this distinction to minimise small, frivolous lawsuits is demonstrated in our first case example. A recent finding from Western Australia considered whether a text message could fulfil the requirement of being published for a case in defamation. This case involved a man named Greg McIntosh sending text messages, which were found to be defamatory, about his ex-brother-in-law, Paul Armstrong, to a friend in 2017. The text messages were only viewed by the friend that received them, but contained statements calling Mr Armstrong evil, stating he had plotted, schemed and lied, was a low-life scum and a tax fraud. When Mr Armstrong learnt about these text messages and their content, he sued Mr McIntosh for defamation. One of the most significant issues considered by the Supreme Court of Western Australia was whether the text messages were casual messages sent as a form of conversation or a considered statement. This was one of the deciding factors in determining whether the texts were publications. The judge in this matter found that the texts were not the usual short off-the-cuff messages sent as texts, but were lengthy, formally structured, and contained correct grammar and punctuation, all of which are unusual for text messages. Therefore, the judge found that the messages had fulfilled all the requirements of defamation and awarded Mr Armstrong $6,500 in damages, possibly not an outcome many of us consider when sending scathing text messages. Another place people often may not think of their comments as possibly defamatory is online business reviews. However, several cases in recent years have made individuals pay damages for defamation to businesses they have left false, inaccurate reviews about online. 
This includes reviews of a Sydney plastic surgeon and an Adelaide barrister. However, there is one crucial difference between these cases and leaving a review due to a negative experience with the business. The businesses in these cases could prove that the supposed customers lied in their reviews. In the case of a Sydney plastic surgeon, a former patient of Dr. Tavacoli made several claims in negative reviews left on Google about his business. This includes that he did not complete all procedures paid for, was incompetent, and did not appropriately deal with her complaints. However, Dr. Tavacoli was able to show in court that he in fact did perform the disputed procedure, appropriately performed all procedures, and that he tried to address his patient's concerns and it was in fact she who made threats against him. It was found that after the reviews were posted, Dr. Tavacoli had lost over 23% of his website visitors and suffered damage to his business. The court determined that as a result of her false, defamatory, negative reviews, she was to pay the doctor $530,000 to compensate for the damage caused. Similarly, in the case of Adelaide barrister Gordon Chang, a woman claiming to be a client left a negative Google review in both English and Chinese about his services. However, it was found that the reviewer had in fact never been a client of Mr Chang's. Initially, the woman was asked by Mr Chang to simply remove the review, but instead she changed the name under which the review was posted and added two more under different names. As a result, Mr Chang launched a defamation case, alleging that he had lost approximately 80% of his Chinese community clients and suffered reputational damage to his business. The evidence produced showed that the initial negative review had been viewed 800 times per month for the six-month period it appeared online. The court agreed that Mr Chang had suffered financial damage and awarded Mr Chang a total of $750,000 being a combination of compensatory and aggravated damages. It is important to note, however, that it was the individuals who were successful in suing for defamation in these cases. Most corporations are prevented from suing for defamation by legislation. Finally, several cases have drawn media attention lately relating to social media posts and comments, primarily on Facebook. While some of these cases have focused on the culpability of the individuals making posts and comments, cases have also brought to attention the responsibility of the owners of Facebook pages. This has been raised recently in a case between Mr Dylan Voller, a former Northern Territory youth detainee, and three media companies who published news articles about Mr Voller. Whilst the news articles themselves were not defamatory, the articles were then published on each media outlet's Facebook page and attracted several comments from the public which were allegedly defamatory. Mr Voller launched his defamation cases against the outlets on the basis that they not only invited the public to make comments but in fact acted as the publisher of them and in that way became liable in defamation. The New South Wales Supreme Court initially found that the outlets were liable for the comments as they facilitated the posting of them and therefore could not ignore their content. The media outlets appealed this outcome and recently lost that appeal, claiming that as they were not an active participant or contributor to the comments, they could not be held liable for them. The Court of Appeal disagreed on the basis that as the administrators of the relevant official social media pages of the outlets, they were instrumental in bringing about the publication of the material. Whilst no decision has been handed down yet on damages in this matter, the media outlets have foreshadowed a further appeal to the High Court, 
so watch this space. This will be an interesting and developing area of law over the coming years, as media outlets and website administrators will need to determine their responsibilities and responses to each comment when it's posted. Will these websites and Facebook pages become impractical as the cost of moderating these pages to prevent defamation accusations becomes untenable? It's an area we will watch with interest. Developments in this area will also be impacted by updates to the defamation law in New South Wales, which attempt to minimise the liability of secondary publishers of defamatory material, such as Google and Facebook. However, the full impact of these changes and the introduction of the serious harm requirement will not be fully understood until we begin to see cases decided under the new laws. The area of defamation in digital realms is evolving as quickly as the digital platforms with which we all interact every day. It is important that both social media users and businesses who may suffer damage as a result of social media content understand their evolving responsibilities and rights in this area. We hope that you have enjoyed this episode of Trial by Podcast. If you wish to read more on digital defamation and the evolving responsibility of news outlets and web platform administrators, you can visit the news and blog section of the McCabe Kerwood website to explore our articles in this area. We look forward to seeing you on the next episode.